Thank you, Terry, Pastor Egger, choir. We appreciate you so much. You're leading us to the throne of grace every Sunday. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking specifically today at verses 6 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. We're going to put them, the uh, scripture up on the PowerPoint for those of you who may not have brought your Bibles. We encourage you to always bring your Bible. Uh, there's something about having a scripture in your hands that helps you to really hear the voice of God. And sometimes it may be that the Lord is speaking to you through one verse and you need to read that verse and listen to God's voice. And so make sure you bring the Word of God with you. Allow God to speak to you through His Word. First, Second, Second Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 11. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time is for you and for me. The title of this sermon is, He is Calling Out Your Name. The sermon really came about because Pastor Edgar wrote a song called, He is Calling Out Your Name. I asked him, Pastor Edgar, where's that, what's that scripture that that song goes with? And he said, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. I said, well, that's what I'll preach on. I've been struggling all week. I don't know what to preach on. And so Tuesday when we talked, I read the scripture and I thought that's what I should preach. It's amazing how the Lord helps us in that way. The book of 2 Timothy has often been called Paul's Last Will and Testament. This is a fitting title because it was probably the most, probably most likely the last letter that Paul would write before he would give up his life for the cause of Christ in that Roman cell. Perhaps no more fitting epitaph could be written about Paul than the words that he wrote himself in chapter 4 of this same book. 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Last night at 7.30, I went to Parkview Hospital to be with Ruth LaRue. And um, they had just brought her to, her to her room. And I thought, you know, as I looked at her, she, she looked pretty ill. I didn't know that she had much longer. And they, they called me in saying she, they don't expect her to make it through the night. But, you know, I've seen that so many times. And people hang on for a long period of time. And... And um, then the nurse called us in. They got her all situated, and we visited for a little bit. And then one of the nurses came in and said, uh, if you're going to pray, you probably want to pray now. She's ready to go. I'm not sure how she sensed that or why she knew that, but I thought to myself, well, I've been here before, and they often hang on and they linger. But I begin to pray, and the sisters begin to pray around Ruth. And when I opened my eyes, she was home with the Lord. Just that quick. Just that peaceful. And I thought to myself, she's with Jesus now. And she's hearing the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
and how real this Scripture is, I have fought a good fight. You see, Ruth lived out her life of faith. I have finished the race. She finished strong. Her brother saw her go away in the ambulance and, and we weren't sure that she would even make it to the hospital at that time. Uh, they were set out there for 25 minutes and I thought she was probably already gone. And so when I saw her in the uh, hospital, I was surprised. But her brother said, you always wonder what the end will look like. Well, this must be the end of the road for my sister. But she was still there when we got to the hospital and and we prayed, and as we prayed, she went home to be with the Lord. And it was a sweet thing. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so today, Ruth is with the Lord. Well, this letter to Paul, written by Paul to Timothy, um, was to a, to a brother in the faith. It dates back uh, probably to about 66 A.D. Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell to his beloved brother in the faith, Timothy. The contents of the letter, well, it could be summed up into three words. It was personal. Second, it was pastoral. And third, it was practical. There's a very personal part of this letter in which is unmistakably Paul shows his affection towards Timothy as a brother in the Lord. He treats him as if he's his own son in the Scriptures. It's also a pastoral letter. Along with uh, Timothy and Titus, it's a letter written to encourage Timothy as he pastors the church there in Ephesus. You see, pastoring a church is not an easy thing. Our pastor is away today, and some of you may have heard Pastor Carla preach last week, and you're hearing me preach this week, and you might be a guest two weeks in a row, and you're thinking, who's their pastor? <laughs> well, we have a wonderful pastor. His, pastor. his name is Pastor Chuck Sundberg, and Pastor Chuck and Pastor Carla are away today. Uh, they're at a conference, and so you want to continue to pray for them. And we appreciate so much their leadership. Well, just as our pastor prays for each of us on staff, Paul was encouraging Timothy, the young pastor. So it was a pastoral letter. Timothy was pastoring the church there in Ephesus, which was not an easy task. Paul writes to encourage and exhort him towards continued faithfulness and not stopping short of completing and fulfilling the purpose of God for his life. Finally, the letter is a very practical letter, both for, for Timothy and for us. There's relatively little deep theology we find in this epistle like we would find in, say, Romans or Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Of course, all of Paul's letters are very practical, but especially this one. It kind of concentrates on the practicality, the practical aspects of discipleship and fighting the good fight. And so it's for all of us, really. It's practical for all of us because it concentrates on discipleship and fighting a good fight, running the race that is before us. Well, let's look at it, the fact that it's personal. Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother who had become a Christian believer. And his father was a Greek. Now, their home was in Lystria, which was, a, uh, was in the Roman province of Galatia, which is an area that we know as Turkey today. And, of course, we're very familiar with that area because of all the conflict that happens, happens in the Middle East. And Paul was visiting on his second missionary journey there in Lystria. And on his second journey, he met this young man by the name of Timothy, and he was very impressed with him. He'd heard good good stories about Timothy, and he knew that he was a man, young man of faith, 
a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And so he encouraged him to go with him on his missionary journeys. Over the years, I've had the privilege of taking many students on missionary trips. Uh, this past summer, uh, Dave Busman put together a wonderful trip to Ensenada. And it was just a fabulous trip for our students. And we went across the border and, and kind of joined shoulder to shoulder with our brothers in the Lord there at the Ensenada Church of the Nazarene and, and helped to, to uh, build onto a building that they had, served at Vacation Bible School. And it was just a great experience. And Pastor Ryan was there, and it was just a wonderful trip as we, as brothers and sisters of the Lord, kind of shared in this work together. Well, the majority of the trips that I've taken over the years have been um, to Juarez, Mexico. And uh, usually to encourage students to come, I, I try to help them face the realities of how difficult a mission trip might be. And so I conjure up in my mind the worst trips I've ever been on, and I talk about that's how this trip is going to be. You see, I've been on buses that have broke down through the hot heat of Texas. And so I tell the students, now we're going to go on a 30-hour bus trip to Juarez, Mexico. We're going to go nonstop from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Juarez, Mexico. We'll only stop to eat. We're not going to sleep through the night. I mean, you could sleep on the bus, but we're not going to stop at a hotel. You see, I learned years ago that if you go to a hotel and the students dive in the water in the pool, they get all refreshed and energized, they're up all night long. And so when you get to your destination, they're twice as tired as if you drove straight through. If you drive straight through, they conk out on the bus. And so when they arrive to their destination, they're there a little bit quicker, seemingly, and, uh, and they're more ready to go. So I tell them, you're going to go on a 30-hour bus trip, and it's going to be the most difficult trip you've ever been on. It, it, we may get through Texas, and the air conditioning will go off, and we'll have to open the windows, and we'll just be sweltering in the heat. I, I try to prepare them for that possibility. And then when we get across the border, you know, we're going to have to carry all of our water with us, and we're going to have to ration all that out. And, and it may be that we can't shower while we're there after a hard day of work, and, and who knows what our accommodations are going to look like. And, and this is going to be the hardest trip of your life. I, I try to paint as tri the trip as miserable as I possibly can so when the students get to Juarez, Mexico, or wherever the mission trip is, they say, well, it's not so bad. I set the level of expectation high so that they'll be ready for the trip that's before them. And it's amazing to me. The harder I paint it, the more students sign up. I want to be a part of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a trip for me, man. I'm roughing it, man. I'm, gonna, I'm a hard working, and I want to do this. And, and students sign up. The hard, I mean, it's just, it's just every time. Well, along with that, there's some guidelines. You know, when you go to an to another community, you want to make sure that you don't offend them in any way. And you want to be uh, sensitive to the, uh, the cultural norms of that society. And so I make sure the students know we're not going to wear any short shorts. Uh, there's not going to be any spaghetti strap t-shirts. You're going to have to wear long, you know, some sleeve shirts, and you're going to have to dress modestly because we do not want to offend those that we're endeavoring to minister to. And we need to be sensitive to the cultural differences that we might have. Well, Paul was saying all these things to Timothy. You see, Timothy, uh, we find in the Scripture, also was wanting to make sure that he did not offend his Jewish brothers. His father was a Greek. So Timothy was circumcised as a matter of Christian liberty to avoid offending the Jews in the area where they would be doing mission work. You see, there was a bit of sacrifice. It was more than just not wearing uh, stringed tops. 
It was a real commitment on his part. But there was something very personal about this. Not only that, uh, the commitment that was involved, but the, the, the fact that Paul was leading this journey. You see, Paul saw Timothy not only as a brother in the work, the, the work of the Lord, as a co-worker in the Lord, but he saw him as his son in the faith. And he cared about him in a very, uh, very real way. And uh, over the years, I've had several people that I've uh, really looked up to. My father, who's here today, he's one of those. Um, man of integrity. Someone who's always cared for others. And it's good to have you here today. Uh, I, had a, I had a district superintendent in Southwest Ohio District, and, and I was um, the district NYI president. I was there for nine years on, at the West Carrollton Church and then later at the Springdale Church of the Nazarene. And I remember one time um, sitting, being in a meeting, and after the meeting he said, Rex, would you come into my office? And he said, I want to speak to you as if you were one of my own sons. And he had a, three sons. And it was a time of transition, and he gave me his advice for that time of transition. Well, I really respected him. And I appreciated the fact that he was looking out after me. Well, you see, Timothy had a father in the Lord. His name was Paul. And so it was very personal, this letter. Very personal. Paul offers to Timothy hope. But this hope is not based upon Paul's words alone. They're based upon the reality of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 12. I don't have it on the PowerPoint, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him for that day. You see, hope breeds courage. And, Timothy, and Paul was saying to Timothy, our courage is not in our ability. Our courage, our hope, is in God's ability. You see, it's not in your ability. It's in what God has done for you. I know whom I have believed. It's in, it's in my belief in Jesus Christ who was born died on the cross and was raised on the third day as the living Savior, it is in that belief that I have my hope. And I am convinced that this risen Savior is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him to that day. And so Paul offers to Timothy this word of hope. You see, hope breeds courage. And this was a time where Paul, where Timothy would need courage. It is pastoral, this letter. It is pastoral and that Paul writes to encourage Timothy who is pastoring the church there in Ephesus. He exhorts them to continue on in the faith. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the Gospel. You see, ever since the Roman, Romans had burned, uh, ever since Rome had burned in July A.D. of 64, uh, Nero had blamed the Christians for all this. And it became a very dangerous time to be a Christian. It was also dangerous to be in contact with leaders of the Christian church, such as Paul. Consequently, many believers, including some of Paul's co-workers, we think of those in Asia in particular in the Scripture, had chosen a much lower profile and were less aggressive in their ministry. You see, it was a difficult time in the, in the life of the church. The days of the early revivals had waned. Church attendance 
was in decline. Paul was in prison. And the Christians were being killed brutally. Some of them were thrown to to wild dogs to be eaten alive. Others were put on a stake to be burned to death alive. You see, it was a difficult time. It was a time that tried men's souls and forced them to count the cost of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. Paul knew this when he wrote to Timothy to encourage him, to inspire him to continue on in the faith with boldness, with power. The power that comes because of God's promise. So Paul wrote this epistle to urge his brother in the Lord, his son in the Lord, Timothy, to be faithful to his calling and loyal to his, his, his father in the faith. Paul encourages Timothy by reminding him of the great doctrines of God's grace. Let's look at verse 6 again. Verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flames of the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Paul is saying to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God. You see, Paul was there when Timothy was ordained into the ministry. And there was the laying on of the hands. And there was that infilling of the Holy Spirit that would empower him to do the work that God had called him. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, fan into flames the gifts, the graces that God has already given you. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Fan into flames. You see, I was a Boy Scout years ago. And uh, we, would, we loved building fires. I don't know, there's something about being a boy and building fires. It's just, you're a pyromaniac. It just kind of cuts a natural thing. You just like to build fires. And, and I remember having flint and a knife and just like on Survivor. But I could actually start a fire. Unlike many of those people on Survivor who think they've never been a Boy Scout before. Start a fire. And, uh, well, I would, we would build fires and, and uh, build a nice campfire and you'd go to sleep at night and when you woke up, the fire was burned out. But if you would move the, the logs that were on the outsides away and, and maybe brush away some of the, the white ash, you, often you would find a few embers that remained. And as you would fan those into flame, it was easy to rekindle that fire. You see, God had given Timothy all the gifts and the graces that he needed to pastor that church. And Paul is saying to Timothy, fan into flames. Spend time in the Word. Listen to the presence of God in your life. Pray. Be sensitive to His leading. And fan into flames the gifts that God has already given to you. And so Paul encouraged Timothy and he encourages us to do the same. Verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. You see, He will empower us to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. You see, He is our hope. He is our provider. He is our strength. He is the one who is our ability. Our ability is not in ourself. It is in God's ability. It is what God has done. You know, I often, I stand up here and preach from time to time and I wonder what gives me the right to do this. I have no right. What gives anyone the right to stand before a congregation and speak? We have no right. 
but we only have the power of God. Does that make sense? You see, there's something very powerful about the Word of God. And if we'll speak the truth of the Word, God speaks through the Word. And so, Timothy, do not live your life as one who is timid. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. It's all about God. It's not about you. It's about God. But a spirit of power. God will empower you for the task that is before you. When you are ready to throw in the tower or give up because someone is speaking evil about you, remember it is God who has equipped you. It is God who is empowering you to do the work that He's called you to do. Out of love. You see, we are to love one another. The Scripture, we have, a great, we, have the, we have the great commission and we have the great commandment. In the great commandment, we're instructed to love one another. But sometimes it's hard to love people. You know, there are people that are kind of irregular in our lives that just kind of rub us the wrong way. I mean, I, I don't really like that person, but I'm supposed to love that person. I don't know how I'm going to love that person. Well, it's impossible. You can't love somebody that, you know, where they talk, yeah, 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 and it just drives you nuts. And, and how am I going to love this person? And they just annoy me in their mannerisms. And, and, but we're called to love one another. Well, how is that possible? Well, God empowers us. You see, He changes us from the inside out. And He gives us all the tools and the graces we need to live this holy life that He's calling us to. So the Scripture says, For God did not call us as a spirit of, with a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. How do we fan into flame? It's through those self-disciplines. It's, 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 uh, it's by fulfilling the spiritual disciplines in our lives, reading the Scripture, spending time in prayer, listening to the voice of God. Trusting Him to empower us through His presence and His Holy Spirit. You see, Paul was saying to Timothy and to us, it is God who enables us to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. It is His power that He provides us through the presence of His Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner. You see, Paul is saying to Timothy, do not be discouraged. I'm not a prisoner of the state. Do you see it there? It says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner. Not the state's prisoner, but His prisoner. You see, Paul was there for a purpose. His purpose was to fulfill the purpose of God. And if it meant to give his life for the cause of Christ, then so be it. Matter of fact, if you look on in in chapter 4, we read these words. Chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Paul is saying, do not be discouraged, Timothy. Just because I'm in this prison, I'm not here because I'm a captive of the state. I'm here fulfilling the purpose of God. Do not be discouraged. Fulfill the purpose of God in your own life. God will empower you for the task. Timothy, my hope is in the Lord. Place your trust, your hope, in the Lord as well. Keep your eyes fixed on Him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Not to the right or to the left, but to Jesus alone. Timothy, don't allow the voices of those who are living in fear 
to control your, your direction. But allow God. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Then Paul says in verse 8, the second part, But join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. In order to give Timothy courage, he reminds Timothy of the, of the great doctrine of God's grace and salvation. Timothy, remember, it is God who saves us. It's not of anything that we have done, but it's what God has done in us and through us. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Timothy, God has called you for a purpose. And He has provided you everything that you need to fulfill that purpose. You see, in justification, God changes our standing with God. In justification, changes our standing with God. When we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, our sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. And it's just as if we'd never sinned. We're given this new start, this fresh beginning. And sanctification changes our character in our conduct. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that works in us, who dwells in us, who begins to deal with that issue of jealousy, that begins to deal with that issue of anger, that begins to deal with... And you come to the Lord just as you are. He gives you this fresh start, this new beginning, but it's His Holy Spirit that empowers you to become the holy person that you were created to be. Justification removes the guilt of sin. Sanctification removes the stain of sin. Justification imputes righteousness to the sinner, but sanctification imparts righteousness to the sinner. You see, this letter was pastoral. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, Stay, stick to the Word. You see, we have this salvation provided for us by God. And it offers is offered to mankind. Finally, it's practical. What does it mean to live as one who has been clearly called by God to be holy in the midst of an unholy world? Now, you may not ask the question quite in that manner, but every one of us asks that question every day. What does it mean to be called of God, to live for God in an unholy world? Now, how, do, how do we deal with that question? Well, we deal with that question every day in every decision we make. Every place we choose to go or everything we choose to watch or everything we choose to listen to, we deal with that decision every day in our life. What does it mean, what does it mean to be a holy God, to live a holy life in an unholy world? We deal with every, in every attitude that we choose and every attitude that we choose to express. Have you ever heard the expression, He makes me so angry? The reality is no one can make you angry. We may allow them to make us angry, but we choose the angry attitude. You see, we choose how we will live out this holy life. God has empowered us and equipped us, but it's up to us to choose. And so what does it mean to live as one who's been called, clearly called of God to be holy in the midst of an unholy world? It means to listen to His voice and understand that we choose these things. We deal with the manage we deal with with it as we manage every relationship in our lives, those that are most comfortable to us and those that are most distressing to us. 
You see, this is everyday stuff. It's very practical, this letter. How do you live a holy life in the, in the context of an unholy world? So our attitudes and our behaviors, we look at, into, the past, into the Scripture and try to find answers. So Paul speaks about self-discipline, self-control. He speaks of finding our ultimate hope in Christ and His grace rather than the kind of security that this world has to offer. He talks about nonconformity to the sinfulness of this world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The desires that once you controlled our lives, He reminds us that our value must be in Christ, in Christ alone. Not in our annual salary or our position in life or, or our accusation of things. No, our focus should be on Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, He's talking about a radical transformation of our lives that is not possible without the new birth in Jesus Christ. It's only when we accept Christ that we can become the person He has created us to be. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is offered for you and for me. Pastor Eggers is going to come and lead us in a song. It's entitled, He's Calling Out Your Name. And this Scripture, this Scripture is, really there's three points. It's very personal. It's personal to you and to me because, well, the reality is, God has numbered the hairs upon your head. The Scripture tells us there's not a, a sparrow that falls to the ground without his being aware of it. When I was growing up, I was taken to Sunday school by my father and mother, and, and uh, I remember sitting in Sunday school class in a basement, and uh, there was just a few of us, and the teacher saying, Rex, if you had been the only one, Jesus would have died just for you. You see, it's very personal. The Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Christ died for you. It's personal. And He's calling out your name. It's pastoral. You see, we're all called. We're all sent. We're all commissioned to do His work. We're all a part of the great commandment and the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God has a purpose for your life and a direction. And you will only find that purpose when you surrender yourself to Him. When you listen to His voice and you allow Him to fan into flame the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's, it's personal. It's pastoral. And it's practical. God will not leave us alone. But He has given us the Holy Spirit that will help us to encourage us, to strengthen us for the call of God, to fulfill the call of God in our lives. It could be this morning that you're at a place where you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord. And today is the day of salvation. Well, He's calling out your name. It could be that you've been journeying for a while. But you've kind of gotten away from this holiness thing. You've allowed your eyes to be more focused on the things of this world. You want to turn your heart, your heart and your eyes back towards Jesus. Well, He's calling out your name. It could be that you're on this journey and, and you're just looking for that call. Lord, what is it that you would want me to do? I want to hear your voice today. Would you lead us, Pastor Edgar, in this song?